welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle Caldwell and today we're exploring the lap of luxury. Welcome back listeners. Thank you so much for joining me again today. How is your week going? It's Wednesday, hump day. Now I'm celebrating a few wins this week so hopefully you're all doing the same too. How good has it been seeing all of the international sales managers jumping on flights to Houston to head to Kiwi Link this week? I have to say I'm suffering a little bit of FOMO back here, not going to lie, but I'm so happy that we're finally reconnecting with the world and having some of our top experiences showcased face to face in an international audience again. So Well done to all of you who are up there. Safe travels and fly our flag very proudly. And thank you also to those who contacted me with feedback from last week's episode on customer personas and customer experience. It's great to know that so many of you are thinking deeply about the customer experience piece and coming together to solve some of our issues around staffing and scaling up. But this week, we're joined by a very special guest, Sarah Farag from Southern Crossings. Now, with a family history that she can trace back to the legendary pink and white terraces in the pioneering days of tourism in New Zealand, Sarah was raised in the land of the long white cloud by parents with an insatiable passion for globe trotting, and she now loves traveling the length and breadth of New Zealand with her own children at every opportunity. It seems almost inevitable that Sarah would pursue a career in travel, but that was more than two decades ago, and she now heads up the talented team at Southern Crossings New Zealand, living out her dream of sharing the region's vast treasures and little-known hidden gems with visitors from around the globe and from down the road. Sarah shares her vast knowledge generously and insightfully to craft individually tailored itineraries that are executed with the finest attention to detail. Her little black book bulges with talented Kiwi chefs and winemakers, fly fishers, golf pros, wildlife experts and more who can open doors to authentic adventures and provide her clients with personalized windows into the enviable local lifestyle. Sarah's unrivaled connections combined with her natural gift of being able to truly read clients' passions enable her to incorporate the thoughtful touches and bespoke travel experiences that wow both first-time international visitors and lifelong locals alike and which have also secured her place on respected lists of the world's leading travel specialists including Condé Nast Traveller, Travel and Leisure, and town and country. So today we're chatting about the incredible TV series that was brought to our screens while the borders were closed to showcase some of the most incredible experiences on offer here in Aotearoa, Lap of Luxury. I have no doubt you'll enjoy this glimpse of the behind the scenes as much as I did and love sharing Sarah's passion for New Zealand and New Zealanders. Enjoy the episode. We'll see you next week. If 
if you're anything like me and were living vicariously through the TV whilst we're in lockdown, you no doubt came across Lap of Luxury, a show that provided a privileged and personalised behind-the-scenes introduction to some of the most inspiring luxury travel experiences across New Zealand and Australia. That show wouldn't have been possible without the foresight of one of our leading luxury destination specialists, Southern Crossings. And today we're joined by one of the owners, Sarah Farag. Kia ora, Sarah, and welcome to the show. Kia ora, Michelle. Lovely to be with you. Thank yeah, you. It's great to have you on the show, and I'm very excited about this chat. But before we start talking about the TV show, I'd love to hear how you got involved in the tourism industry and ended up here today. Oh, sure. Well, it really was a bit of a passion story. I started at Auckland University, did a BA, travelled the world, didn't really know what I wanted to do. <laughs> uh, but as I travelled the world, I really was so inspired by so much of what I did see. But it also made me incredibly proud of what we have back home. I often think people can beat us in terms of obviously history and some extraordinary experiences that you have everywhere that inspire you and motivate you to continue to travel. But as a passionate New Zealander, it made me just want to say to people, well, you should see the mountains we've got back yeah. home. You can see our rivers and lakes. If you think this is a good waterfall, yeah. wow, you need to come down under. And, and then it was a chance meeting with the original founders of Southern Crossings, Trevor Thomas and Patrick Burke. That began the journey. And I started when we were a small team of five, in fact, as Patrick's PA. Oh, and wow. Yeah, and it was back in the days of faxes when we would get a little notification that someone wanted to come to New Zealand and our job was to entertain them and feed them and house them and make sure they had a great time. And it was all about homestays, farm stays. And you know, the most important thing, it was always about the New Zealander. Mm. That's what inspired us. And that's what really, when you sent people back home to the other side of the world, you wondered what it was that resonated so much with them. And actually the landscapes do, but it's the people that are at the heart of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true, isn't it? The people are the unique part of it because landscapes are not that they're replicated, but you can see similar landscapes in other parts of the world. But when you have that real connection with a Kiwi, it's something quite special. Exactly. And so the company grew and I grew with it and I invested in it about 14 years ago and took over the majority Oh, just a couple of years before that pesky border closed. Oh. So whilst we were at the peak of our game in a way, although we thought we were, it'd be interesting to see what's ahead. We had the, the international border closed on us and of course with 100% of your clients on the other side of it mm. and having fairly recently tapped into the majority ownership of the company yeah. it was a pretty depressing point in time yeah it must have been pretty scary <laughs> for you too yeah <laughs> it was scary it was really scary because nobody knew what was ahead of us and we sort of thought wow I guess if we throw all of our bookings six months down the track surely <laughs> by then it will be all fine and of course what we've learned is it was far from six months and it was a good couple of years journey so it was yeah. a rather terrifying time but oh. it's amazing what you, you can do when you're feeling that scared in a way you know, everyone said I'll oh, pivot your business and if you looked at the little sandpit which had every inbound travel company and every outbound travel company playing in it mm -hmm. it was a pretty small marketplace and when you also were dealing with 
rather the high-end market. That became also very hard to turn around to New Zealanders. It just was an interesting offering because what we really offer our clients is so much of it is experiential. Well, New Zealanders know New Zealand very Mm. well. And so it's quite hard to really offer more than they could actually almost find for themselves. So we had to really think on our feet. And I'd like to say we did. Yeah. So tell us how Lap of Luxury came about. Well, it was a conversation with a lovely general manager, Richard Rooney of Furry Coho, mm-hmm. which is one of our lovely luxury properties that featured in the first episode of series one. And he had the he rang me one day and said, I just want New Zealanders to see these lodges and get to know us. Uh, would your sister, who happens to be CEO of Screen Time, oh, okay. would, she be, would she be interested in doing comedy and we could get Reese Darby or some well-known <laughs> New Zealander who everyone would relate to and show the stories of these lodges and about our guests and some interesting ideas. Well, I pitched it to my sister and she just said, uh, <laughs> she didn't feel there was the appetite for that sort of genre. So a couple of weeks down the track, I rang her and I said, I just want to showcase all the positives because there are so many that our industry is responsible for, for guardianship of land, for the communities, for all of those really important roles and important things that are brought to New Zealand through these beautiful properties that New Zealanders, many of them don't know about. Mm. And I'd just like to turn that story around and showcase the beauty of it. And she said, I've got it. I know what we need to do. And she pitched the idea overnight to her head office in France and they approved the show overnight. Wow. She said they never approve a show overnight. We usually have a lot of banter back and forth until we get the narrative quite right. But they understood what we wanted to achieve and the lap of luxury was born. So it was a a story that began from there. And then it really, I guess, morphed into two sisters joining forces and trying to make sure that we kept it really inspired for all New Zealanders. And so it became what we called the most down-to-earth journey into the lap of luxury. And when we pitched to Tourism New Zealand, we were really fortunate that they saw the vision and the beauty and the importance of it. And I believe the storytelling speaks for itself because the feedback and the reviews have been outstanding. And and so based on the success of the first series, we were fortunate enough to commission a second series. And so with two series underway, the show has now traveled around the world. Brilliant. So I was going to ask that. We've obviously been watching it here in New Zealand. So it has been distributed further afield? Yes. Thankfully, some international uh, networks have bought it. So it's been bought by Passion Distribution, which is the largest distribution network for this genre of television. Mm -hmm. And it will be screening on SBS Australia in September this year. Wow. And it's currently screening on Qatar Airways and Air Canada and soon to be on British Airways. So the global sales are just beginning, which is quite timely because the eyes are turning and they're coming back down our way. So as the borders opened and to have a series now broadcast overseas that people can actually not just 
dream about it from the comfort of their armchair, yeah. but hopefully they're inspired as they're flying from perhaps the US to over to Europe and looking at a show that makes them think about our corner of the world. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. I mean, the storytelling in the show was absolutely beautiful. And I remember sitting, I think it was the episode with the Lindus, and even my husband, who kind of doesn't buy into the whole tourism thing quite as much as I do, he was sitting there going, wow, this is incredible. Because a lot of the time, all we really see on the surface from these luxury properties is the price, right? So from a Kiwi perspective, so we're sitting there thinking, well, why do you pay so much? What do you get from this experience? And then you, even on TV, it moved us to the point where we're going, right, that's on our bucket list. <laughs> right. We'll keep, we'll keep it there, but hopefully one day you will actually achieve it. But obviously yeah. it is... The idea was that whether you can achieve it or not staying there, we wanted to show you the people, the everyday New Zealanders, Mm. this happens to be their job. So you can imagine the community of Omarama, how it's benefited from a place that you've just identified the linden. So it's the farmer down the road who produces the eggs and the infrastructure goes into so many facets of New Zealand when it comes to tourism it's very easy to go oh look at that rich price tag and why on earth would someone pay that and why can they get away with charging it It, you can look at all the negatives Mm. actually when you realize that you're on a station that say 6,000 acres of your farmland and places where predator-proof fences have been installed all for such huge huge projects environmental conservation which New Zealand can only be grateful for and these places employ a lot of locals within their region and and, and the spin-off into that is well into the community and so the communities throughout all of New Zealand benefit and I think that was what was showcased because we heroed the gardener or the housekeeper because they are all the people who are just as important as the person who owns the the property. Yep, yep, absolutely. And that really connected with the everyday New Zealander as well. And I'm sure as it heads overseas, it will connect because you're showing there's these real Kiwi personalities and characters in a lot of instances there waiting to greet you when you arrive. And it was just, yeah, it was fantastic. Exactly. And just as I sort of alluded to at the beginning with all of these itineraries that we curate for our international clients, And it's the New Zealander that's the X factor. So why not hero those people? Because it's exactly that reason. It's a bit like when you go to Fiji and you wonder why you might choose Fiji over another Pacific island. Mm. And I always think it's the people. It's those smiles. It's it's infectious. And so it's the same with New Zealanders. And and we're really proud of everyone who contributes to this sector. It's really important. Awesome. So how much involvement did you personally have in the content of the show? Well, quite a lot. My role was the relationship manager between the properties and the series, because, Mm -hmm. of course, we were asking them to invest in going on TV at a time where they didn't know when the next client 
was going to come to their door and they were looking at their staff wondering how they could keep them and so it was a big ask to say trust me I know that I filled you with clients international (laughs) clients when the border was open but I'm going to be really great at television well (laughs) (laughs) luckily screen time we're able to to prove that but I became the one who really navigated who should be involved in the series and why because I know these properties intimately and I know the stories behind them mm-hmm. and how where, where it would resonate and yeah. so my role was really a lot of research into the properties who should feature and why and really convincing them that this would be worth it and I can assure you it was very hard to get people over the line for the first series but I think every single one of them would tell you that they're absolutely thrilled and it did a lot for them and so it was really lovely to be able to whilst it didn't bring us direct business that's not what it was about it was about ensuring that all of these properties that we want to still survive and be open for our internationals, we're we're doing as well as they could with the the domestic audience that they had. Mm -hmm. And I think it helped people to see some justification on some of those price points that are charged because it's not just a room in a hotel. It really is so much more than that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm assuming when you got the first series to air that you might have had a few extra properties kind of putting their hand up and lining up to be part of series two so series two fell into place a lot more quickly (laughs) which was great and it really benefits the series because internationally the sales are stronger with the volume so it does require a volume and as the series evolves and as anything any project that you sink your teeth into we were really pleased that actually we we managed to diversify the offering a little bit more and show probably a broader variety of luxury because of course luxury is many things to many people Mm. it's not a one-dimensional predictable experience and some people that could be staying in an isolated semi-rustic pod somewhere but the beauty is that you have that environment that pristine environment all to yourself for Mm -hmm. some people luxury is being able to be off the grid yeah (laughs) and that certainly is for me and those things were we were able to delve into a little more in the second series so it was really wonderful to have that diversity of uh, of places that we could share nice and did you strike any challenges while you were filming Oh, sure. The second series was day one of filming began as we went into the short, sharp lockdown that lasted three months. All right. (laughs) So that was enormously challenging. We had to reschedule all of the crew and luckily the rest of the country stayed in level two for most of it. It slightly delayed the filming for all of the properties that were within the wider Auckland region. That was certainly challenging, but otherwise, you know, weather, but we encounter that often. And I think a lot of properties were so worried about how they might look if the weather wasn't pristine. But funnily enough, you can always catch a little glimpse of blue sky and the weather's not always perfect anyway for a traveller. So it's good to showcase a little variety. But overall, we managed to always, as New Zealand does, the weather changes so quickly. So we got our way around that. But navigating the lockdowns was one. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. And without playing favourites, do you have a favourite episode? (laughs) 
that would be really hard because it's like choosing a favorite child I think <laughs> I have to keep that to myself I really don't I think all of the stories were so beautiful mm. every single one of them had an element that was your real aha moment where you just really fell in love with the property so I really feel that and whether that was the person whether it was the building whether it was the interiors or or just the environment it really each place showcased an aspect or more than one that was so superb I really loved them all yeah oh awesome and have you had feedback either through your business directly or through the luxury lodges that have featured on the show that there's been an increase in interest and demand from the domestic audience yeah they they all did extremely well and most of them will say that they can't believe that guests still to this day even if they were in series one will cite having seen them on the lap of luxury wow the reason that they're there and so that is for me that is what I would call a job really well done that's exactly what we wanted to achieve and we did and I'm just thrilled for every one of them that their investment to being in the series was worth it and you can ask any of the lodges they're pretty pleased with what turned around for them oh I can imagine and are they allowed to use some of that footage in their own promotions as well was that part of the agreement or they can just promote the show the episode or they all I mean it's an amazing investment really because they all had access to all of the wild film footage wow the actual episode has been bought internationally so nobody has that ownership other than passion distribution And we can't do anything to jeopardize the international sales. That's really important. Yeah, of course. The eye on the prize now. Yeah. As the doors open and as New Zealanders flock out of here at pace, they've either got family to visit, business trips to account for, and wanting to travel for the very same reason we all love to welcome visitors here. We're also wanting to see what's out there in the rest of the world. And I think bucket list destinations are high on people's list because it did make you look at what you might miss out on, those family Mm. trips that are really, really precious. And those are very special moments you can't get back. So it's good that the series has now morphed into an international program that will help bring bring more New Zealanders back down and more internationals back to our shores as the New Zealanders leave. That's great news. And so with borders opening, how is business otherwise at Southern Crossings? Have you, what have you noticed? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's firing. Yeah. It's, going, it's going at a really large pace. We did have to unfortunately shrink down to a small core team of six during the two years of the border closure. As you can imagine, with 100% of your business gone, it really was the only way forward, which was really tough. But we've grown back to 15 of us already. So, it's, it's, and that's only since the border announcement. So, it's happening really fast. It's great. The forward bookings are in excess of what they were. So, it's pretty exciting. I think New Zealand needs to buckle up. And I think we need to get some of those working holiday visas, a few things ironed out, because it's not just these lodges that need to be ready. It's everywhere. People stop for a coffee on the way between here and the next destination. And they need to know that the cafes are running and it's the whole infrastructure because 
everyone in New Zealand does benefit mm. from tourism. If it's done well, we all benefit. And yes. we've all got the responsibility to make sure that it is done well. We want the reset to be meaningful. And I think the program highlighted how when tourism is done well, it does, we all do benefit and future generations will benefit because we will leave this place better than the way we found it. Mm, yeah, that is so true. Well, that's a wonderful way to finish our chat today, Sarah. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed hearing a little bit about the behind the scenes of Lap of Luxury, having been a big fan of the show and great to hear that it's gone so well and so pleased for all of those operators that were featured and yourself as well it was just a great initiative and probably one of the best COVID pivots <laughs> that, <laughs> that we've seen yeah, pirouette yes yeah we yeah. don't like that pirouette, but yeah it's fabulous so thank you for joining me and wish you all the best for an upcoming summer and great season thanks Michelle thanks very much <laughs>